Well, welcome back, everybody. Doug Flutie here with the Flutie Flakes cast. Another fired up weekend in the NFL where you can't tell who's going to win, who's going to lose. It's parody at its finest. Uh, talking about the Rams losing two in a row, Tampa Bay losing two in a row. But right off the top, uh, Boston College, my little pet peeve, uh, they were down 21-7. And what was I doing? I was playing a baseball tournament this weekend. So I just saw the score. They're down 21-7. I come back and check the score, and Boston College is up 28-21 and a half. So uh, Phil Jakovic, transfer from Notre Dame, gutsy kid, has injuries and fighting those and coming back. And uh, Coach Jeff Halfley really has his team playing hard for him and, and Phil's their leader. It's really cool to see. And uh, I liken the, his leadership ability to what happened with Cam Newton going to Carolina this week. I'll get to Cam in a little bit. Um, the other little tidbit off of uh, something I saw this weekend with the NFL, Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, with Denver, throws a pick six. And on the way back, he just kind of threw a, a, I don't know, it was a no-show on the, the interception return. He started to go over there, kind of wanted to reach and go, ah, let him go. What the heck, let him run. And he even, he, he stood up and said, hey, you know, I could have given him a lot better effort. I didn't give my best effort and that's unacceptable. And I just can't believe anyone as a quarterback has that mentality. I, I know in the league right now, if the quarterback doesn't go after the returner, they can't hit him. And we're so concerned about injuries and guys don't want to get hurt and all that and don't beat up on the quarterback. So the quarterback stand there and watch the guy return. I can't, I can't relate to that. When I threw an interception, I know I only weighed a hundred pounds and I was five foot two and all that stuff, but I would lose it. And as a quarterback, you see the interception happening before it happens. And you take off in that direction. You're the most dangerous player. You get there first, you know, where it's going. And I had a ton of tackles. You know, I still haven't hit anybody. I got the guy to the ground. I mean, you know, bite an ankle, grab a wrist, throw a shirt, whatever. But, uh, you know, as a quarterback, that's just the worst thing that ever happened is interception. So you're hauling butt to go get it. And I even, I, we were up in uh, Calgary and actually a guy I really did not like, despised that defensive back, picks off a pass for Edmonton and he's running down the sideline. I have the angle. I'm going to just, I want to knock him into next week. And just before I get there, he just steps out of bounds and, and runs to the sideline. I didn't care. I grabbed him by the face mix, spun him, and threw him into the bench, got a 15-yard penalty, and it was well worth it because I didn't like it. Anyway, that's the mentality usually of a quarterback after an interception. And uh, it was unacceptable. I thought his, his body language and his, uh, just the effort that Teddy gave on that, especially a guy that's in a position where you, you, you want to fight for your, you know, getting the opportunity to be a starter. Uh, Rams and Tampa Bay both lose two in a row. Uh, if you watch the game, uh, the Rams start out with a early on throwing a post route to Odell Beckham, and maybe he, he quit running on it or just went outside the DB instead of inside. And it just becomes like a punt to the free safety, easy interception. And you can see these things happen early in a game that the body language isn't right. Uh, Tampa Bay's lost Tom Brady first pass of the game, right in the guy's hand, a little five to seven yard completion drop first third down or second might have been second third down in the game uh right in the guy's hands easy conversion flips off the hands up in the air interception and you can just feel the momentum or the preparedness uh the lack of guys intensity being ready to play certain games and you see it early on and what surprised me about tampa bay was usually you're waiting for tom to just throw that switch and get guys going it just didn't happen uh, in the rams loss 
Jimmy Garoppolo for, for San Francisco goes 15 and 19 for under 200 yards. And I think that's telling. I think it's telling that they're running the football, that it's not the air show that's starting to get it done. I talked about this a little bit last week. Things in the NFL become cyclical. You, you adjust. If teams are pounding the football, uh, I, I, I said this a little bit last week, uh, the bear defense came into play, the 46 defense, the eight-man fronts. What do you do to stop the run? And then slowly people transition to the pass game and the rules in the league lend themselves to the pass game. Uh, defenses start to get lighter, quicker, faster, put smaller guys on the field or cover guys, safeties that um, the way you run, run stop was bigger safeties. Now you need safeties that can cover. Now you need outside linebackers that can cover. It's, uh, it's turned to a different game. And now the teams that pound the football are starting to win. The, t- the teams that pound the football. First of all, you're at the mid- past the midpoint of the season where everyone's kind of finding what they do well. And just to see the mix, like that was real old-fashioned football. I was sitting in the box with Mike Tirico, and we're watching college, we're doing Notre Dame football and watching highlights of college games. And he's losing his mind because it's not football to him. It's all this spread them out, shotgun, uh, fast-paced, no huddle, um, just finesse football. And the physical aspect wasn't there. And it it's carried over to the NFL now. So the teams that are starting to turn, you know, the Titans being able to run the football, uh, San Francisco running the football against the Rams. Um, New England Patriots is a perfect example, and that's, that's kind of the direction I was headed, is that the Patriots know who they are. They started out the season slow. They're sitting in a position now where they can make a run at the playoffs. They won impressively again against Cleveland. They had three drives of over 90 yards, three drives over 90 yards. Third down conversions, red zone conversions, two tight end formations, fullback in the game. When you have two tight ends, it's basically two back offense with the ability to split guys out and still run routes. And it's all lending itself to more power football. And when you have power football now, I, and I said this off the top, my, my philosophy has always been this. You throw the ball to score points. You run the ball to salt away games. Um, give you opportunities to throw the ball. And I always wanted to be a 350, 400 yard passing game with about a hundred yards rushing. That's what I was always hoping for. Um, I, I wanted to be efficient in the run game and short yardage and goal line. So you could just hammer the football in there, things like that. But I really felt that the passing of the football wins a game right now in the NFL. I think the teams that are running the football are winning the games, and new England's able to do that. Um, and to have three, 90-yard drives. Now, they still have a rookie quarterback, right? Mac Jones, and I've talked about him a bunch this year. I thought he was the most prepared of all the quarterbacks coming out of college to play in the NFL. I felt that he is the guy out of that group that is most efficient. He's been efficient from day one, and now he's starting to get the ball up the field. And what allows you to do that is the play action. When you're running the football, you hit the play action. You hit guys up the scene. It's it's not all just drop back, rear back one-on-one and, and huck the ball 80 yards. Um, I really, I, I've just enjoyed the seeing their progression. They know who they are. They're not, they're not the throw the ball 50 time teams that they were when Tom Brady was a quarterback. Um, and it's just been fun for me to watch the other big take out of the weekend, Cam Newton, Cam Newton out of football all year, last year with the Patriots. And I covered him a lot. I watched him a lot and Cam 
just is not a MVP caliber, Super Bowl caliber quarterback. He's not. He, he doesn't have the arm anymore. Something in his throwing motion is a little different. He hasn't been throwing the ball well. But the one thing you get out of Cam Newton is effort and being prepared. And he will play tough with the Patriots the last two se- or last year that he played. Um, he was willing to stick his nose in there and run the ball because he's such you know, a big, good-sized quarterback and, and all the quarterback run game, and he made a lot of first downs. He, he got the ball in the end zone a lot as a runner. Um, but his touchdown passes were, I think, through seven or eight last year, and he started the whole season. He, he just couldn't get it done. But on a short-term basis, he, he may be an answer for Carolina. He, he can make you competitive right away. He, that's one thing I said about him all along is he will make you competitive. He'll make you competitive by putting that shoulder down and running for a first down, by getting the ball in the end zone, in the red zone, by putting the shoulder down and doing the quarterback runs. And the threat of quarterback runs allow your run game to be better. However, the downfield passing game will not be there. Sam Darnold's banged up right now for those that don't know the scenario. Sam Darnold banged up. P.J. Walker went in. Uh, Cam got in for just a handful of plays. Right away, he goes in, runs the ball in the end zone. Second play, you know, he's got a short touchdown pass, um, kind of a red zone quarterback situation, but he's going to get the snaps this week in practice. Uh, they're going to groom him this week to be the starter. And I think that he will make them competitive. I don't think he's going to make them, they probably, you know, not not a high level, you know, if they were to have a, a run at it uh, to get to the playoffs, but he, he's not going to make you an exceptional team. He's going to make you competitive and he can make them competitive right away. It's fun to see Cam get back in the game, get back to Carolina, a place where he's comfortable. And there's that goes a long way. When you're in a situation where you believe the people around you believe in you and you know the fan base is behind you, that's exciting. That's fun. You're relaxed. You're playing. And you can see his demeanor. When something is taken away from you, when something when you are denied access to something, you want it that much more and you have that chip on your shoulder to prove people wrong. And that's where Cam is right now. And uh, I, I just, I, I'm kind of, I'm very excited to see how it goes this week for him potentially as a starter and see if he can get it rolling a little bit. He's had injuries over his career. He's been banged up because of the way he plays the game, but over a short term basis, he's going to play the game as tough as he can and, and try to uh, turn them into a winner at Carolina. My guest today coming up will be Gus Farratt, a journeyman quarterback. He and I was just on his podcast last week that, uh, you know, we're very similar in our, the way we bounce around the NFL, the way we bounced around team to team. Uh, a, a pro bowler, a guy that helped his team win all the time, and just a great guy that actually uh, we'll talk to him a little bit about his role in coaching and, and also uh, getting young athletes into college as well. So, Gus Farratt, my guest. Remember, you can get the Flutie Flakes cast on Apple, Pandora, and Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to rate and review. All right, everybody. Uh, my guest today is Gus Farratt. Gus is a uh, veteran quarterback. It's retired now, but uh, kind of parallel to my career. We bounced around a little bit team to team, played a long time and had a blast out of Tulsa, Pro Bowl quarterback, um, now retired. And are you coaching now, Gus? No, not coaching anymore. I did when I first retired, but then got out of it after we moved back to Pennsylvania. So what's going on now, day-to-day life of Gus Farratt? 
Oh, well, you know, I kind of, uh, my wife and I a little bit switched roles. She works full time. She's a nurse and a therapist. So I support her. Like she supported me when we had our kids. Mm -hmm. And then, um, for me, it's, I, I do my podcast. Um, uh, I consult with other companies, um, doing some coaching every week and just trying to find that one thing that'll stick throwing all that spaghetti against the wall for me to really <laughs> get, dig my hands into because it's tough. It's tough to find out what you love to do after you, you did what you love to do for so many years. Yeah. The pat that's, I said that all along. I went right into broadcasting, but to have the passion that we had, because when we were little kids, we had this goal in mind. We had this carrot sitting out there and we worked towards it so hard and it meant so much. It's, it's difficult for a lot of players to find their way to, to do, have something that you're as passionate about. Not necessarily, it doesn't have to be glamorous, doesn't have to be big time. It's just um, something you're passionate about. I, I've thoroughly enjoyed recently coaching some little league football or literally, you know, baseball and football, the kids, um, what did, what's your, what was your takeaway from coaching? Um, when I first retired, I coached my six-year-old son's youth team in St. Louis. And I wasn't only coaching the kids, but I was also coaching all the other dads because they're dads. They don't know football and you're trying to teach them as well because you can't coach everybody at once. Right. You got to put mm -hmm. them in positions. And you look over at these dads and you're going, what in the world are they doing? You know, and I, they all had the playbook, you know, and you're thinking a, an adult man can figure it out. And no, I ended up coaching the whole team, including the parents. So that <laughs> was, that was tough. And then I went on to high school um, and uh, we had a small team. We had 28 kids. That's where my kids went to high school. And uh, I got really lucky uh, coaching there because I got to coach one of my players, Ezekiel Elliott. Mm. And the other one was Foye Aluakon, who's a linebacker for the Falcons. So I had these two just, you know, incredible athletic people on our team. And then the other guys just kind of, we just put them into place. And we said, as long as Zeke gets his four touchdowns every game, it's pretty easy to coach. Well, if he gets his four touchdowns, he's sitting down at halftime and not playing in the second half. If he touches well, a four touchdown. Well, he wanted to do that, right? Because he wanted everybody to get a chance to play. That's the kind of guy he? he was. Yeah, he was very sympathetic to the other kids that, you know, that he knew that weren't ever going to be like him, but he wanted them to be a part of the team. He was a very team oriented guy. Uh, we were, we were joking around before we went on about, and I, I ended up referring to it as old man moments. I've got my glasses on. And now when I sit at a, at a restaurant and I read the menu and I look up, even the people across the table are now in focus with the reading glasses on. So now I know the eyes are gone. Well, but yeah, you could do what I do and just, Ask my kids what's on the menu. <laughs> I said, you guys know me well enough. Just pick something for me. Like I'm not, in, I'm not throwing the glasses on. What is it about guys that we do that? I do it with my wife. Like, what do I like here? Well, I get to the restaurant. We say, I turn to my wife. I'll go, what do I like here? What, what salad dressing do they have on? Like they know, or have it, is it because we've been hitting the head too many times or we just don't want to buy, be. Well, bothered? for me, it's just, I, I'm not a picky really about any food. That's how I was raised. My dad, you know, you weren't leaving the table until you ate everything. So he was a big garden guy, like kohlrabis, broccoli. We grew it all ourselves, you know, and I had to eat it all and actually had to. Had, oh yeah. You weren't allowed to like, I didn't grow this shit to sit in your plate. Right. That's what he would say. And um, so you had to eat it all, but you know, that's the thing is, is that when you go out with your family and, um, you know, you 
the guard is down, right? It, it, it's a little picking on, like my wife is so picky. Like I pick on her a little bit, but we know each other so well. And I'm like, honey, why are you stressing over this menu? You know exactly what you're going to get because you get it every time. Right. And so I'll just end up ordered for, her. and I don't even look, I'm like, just, you know, let's, what's your, what's your special? It sounds good. I'll take that. In fact, that's why you went to that restaurant. It's like you're home and you're making a decision on a restaurant. Where do right. I want to go? I want to go to this Italian place because I like their pasta. And then you order it. If you like the, the steakhouse, you know why you're going to the steakhouse. You're getting that steak. Yeah. It just, and then they pull out the menu and make a big production. My dad yeah. was the king. He would, he would always ask the waiter, let me ask you a question. The, the shrimp scampi, is it this, this, this? And then the guy who goes through this whole dissertation and he's not even interested in ordering it. He's right, just right. quizzing the, the waiter. Old man moments on the field. I had, I played till I was, how, uh, how old were you when you retired? 38. 38. So you were getting there. You might have, I couldn't read the darn wristband. By the right. time I was 43, I'm in the huddle in the dark and I could I had to get the Patriots to enlarge the font. What was your what was your attitude about? Well, the my, my thing was I'm going to study the playbook because I don't want to be out there trying to read that small font on the wristband. And, and all of a sudden the play clock's ticking down and I'm like, hey, guys, I don't really know what it says. Let's just run this. Right. You don't want to get in that moment because the play clock's running down. So I would be like all right, coach, I got to just tell me what the play is because, you know, in different systems, it's, it's different. When you're in a West coast system, it's a lot longer, a lot more verbiage. Uh, like the digit system was shrunken mm -hmm. down a little bit, but um, I just, I was never a wristband guy just for that reason. Um, and probably just because I'd never done it really in, in college or, or my early years in the pros. So I just said, coach, tell me what it is in my headset and I'll, I'll repeat it. Yeah, I had never done it until I got to the Patriots right at the end of my career. And the thing that I didn't like was the interact. You, you lose this interaction with the players and the eye contact with the players in the huddle. Yeah. And that was, I, I think there's something lost when you got a quarterback. Look, number one, I can't read, right? I'm not a reader. I was like, right. give me, I, I, that's why I love no huddle. I love no huddle because you yell a formation out, guys lined up and you do it in segments and call the protection and call it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I just, uh, I think there's not as much thinking. Like, were you ever in a position, when you were in two minute, did you call any of your own plays in two minute or or was it always coming from the yeah, side? Yeah, because, well, it depends on what team you're on. Some coaches really liked you to do that and other ones never, they wanted to have complete autonomy over the offense. Like, we're not giving you any responsibilities besides throwing the football. But uh, when I was with Scott Linehan, we basically, we had a couple, we had two formations, right? If the ball's in the middle, we're always in a, we're always right. going to be in two by two. The ball's on the right hash. Um, we're going to be in the three by one left. So it'd be like trips left. And then if we're on the left hash, it's going to be trips right. So there's only really ever one guy moving. Right. Yeah, so it made it easy. And then Scott would go, okay, we got these plays. If we're in trips and we got these plays, if we're in doubles and then two minutes and it was wonderful. We had one guy moving. I hate when you go to two minutes. <laughs> And they got the whole group moving and the time's running off the clock. And that was my favorite two minute. And, and he would just go, okay, call what you want. You know, if they're playing cover two, let's run the draw. It's not that difficult to, to do it. How about some of the wasted time you see? Yeah, that, that's perfect. It, there's no magic to me in the play call. Just call something no. that we're comfortable with. The, 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 the key in two minutes, get it called quickly. And well, you I, see yeah, these guys... I think, I Go think ahead. the coaches overthink it, right? 
they, they want to come up with these grand plays. That's okay on first down, second down, you know what I mean? But like third down, when it's super important, you're thinking about blitz and all these things coming or two minute, it's got to be simplified. It's got to be down to nuts and bolts. And you got to go after the guys who make the plays, right? So if you're hot in the game, and you're throwing, I'm throwing to Henry Ellard, who was one of my favorite receivers ever to throw to. If I'm throwing to Henry, give me stuff to throw to Henry. Don't try to make this fancy motion and all this. I mean, you know, they're going to blitz you. You're going to figure it out. Like, if, if you can't figure out when a team's blitzing because you haven't studied film, I think a lot of time that's your fault. I, I, I love this conversation right now because you're reiterating everything I think. Um, I, I, you know, coaches say we're gonna we're gonna step the tight end off, shift the motion across, so the blitz comes from this side, not that side, and we can pick it up here. And I'm like, if it's fourth down and five, and the game is on the line, I don't want to call a play that number one, I only ran twice this week for the first time because right. it's brand new, and number two that we're shifting and moving all. I want to see what they're doing, let them line up. I'll get to the right spot with the ball, and I I agree with you 100. percent uh, about coaches that, that overthink those situations. Oh man, it's the worst. And, and then you're trying to watch all this happen, right? The defense is getting more and more time to hide it or not show what they're doing. Okay. He's running with them. I've, you think it's man when the guy's running with him in motion and all of a sudden they blitz that, that guy, like there's just things that coordinators can do. I'm on the standpoint if we can get set, move fast, we're going to put more pressure on them than they'll put on us. I, I agree. Make them adjust to you, like line up and go. And that's, and I think, I don't know if it was out of laziness in the CFL, but when I was up there, especially, I just called my favorite stuff lined up in one formation because then, you know, even Peyton said, you know, yeah. And you were just talking about two minutes. He was in three by three by one or two by two. That's and it. you had certain looks and then you recognize everything. Uh, your year, you were with Detroit, Denver, Cincinnati, Minnesota, Miami, St. Louis, and then again with the Vikings. Um, terminology and, and offenses and getting comfortable. How, I mean, I always refer to it as learning a whole new language every time you switch teams. That's exactly what I say, right? Because think about it. Some places you go and protections are words. Then all of a sudden you go to a new team and the protections are numbers, right? And it's all switched. Um, so you have to learn that. And, and even if you're in the same system, you have a new coach, his terminology, his verbiage is what he likes. It's not like what the West Coast is. So all of a sudden, like Mike Shanahan would add, you know, you had to tell everybody where to go, right? So all of a sudden you'd have 16, 17, 18 word plays. And I'm like, so the fullback, the tailback can't remember. Like I have to remember all these plays, but they can't, they don't have to remember any of this stuff. I have to tell him where to go, what motion to do. So he's like, yeah, if we say B, that means they're in B and it goes left. And I'm like, so he can't remember that. He can't study that one play and remember that. And they're like, no, we have to tell everybody. But that's that old thinking. Like I, I like saying, okay, if we're going to run anything, let's shorten it down. You remember this. You remember this. If you got a problem, ask me, I'll tell you then. But, you know, the worst thing to do, I think, is being late getting up to the line, no time to read the defense. And then you got to snap it. Then that's when I think you get in trouble. I, I marvel at how comfortable these quarterbacks are today with letting that shot clock go down to one second, like snapping the ball. You know, they do the double cadence thing. They, they get their looks guys uh, let that clock run all the way down and are snapping it at zero. I think the, the refs are a little bit lenient with it. The, the other point I was going to make there was 
in, in the terminology thing, and I, I think I've said this before on my podcast, back in the 80s, we would call red right, which is split backs, 64. And that's a play call. 60 right. protection is a weak side release. Four is a curl route. Everyone knew their complementary route, and yeah. they went. Then free agency came in. Coaches got paranoid, and they started – the we got to tell everybody what to do stuff. What was your yeah. most? Do you have a Do you have a play off the top of your head that it was like a complicated play call with shifts? Oh, I don't know. Is anyone I ever ran in Denver? Denver. Right? <laughs> we we put this huge play together that fullback would shift, running back motions out past the Z. You know, we'd have this complicated thing and we'd run a dive. And I'm like, what? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like we're making all this up, like. The guys we need to block are right in front of us for a dive. It's not like we're fooling anybody, right? Like, but that was probably the most complicated system I've ever been in because most of my teams that I've played on have been the digit system. Mm -hmm. So I grew up in that and uh, I knew that really well. Uh, but anytime in Washington with Coach Shanahan, his systems are pretty complex. Yeah. And then you get to two minute, and especially nowadays, I know a lot of teams do, they just have a term. They throw yeah. a term out there and it's the whole route. Why can't we do that in regular offense? Why don't we I do know, that? For I, I don't, I don't know. Why can't we do that? Like to <laughs> me, it, then it like gives it away. Now, if, if the play is real short, if the quarterback doesn't say much in a huddle, that's probably a run, right? If you're in there saying a bunch of crap, it's probably a pass or something. You know what I mean? There's, there's just keys that the defense always are looking for. And especially with young quarterbacks and all that, um, you know, the, don't think there aren't people with binoculars in the stands watching this guy and seeing what he's saying, you know, and, and there's always tips they're looking for on how to get an advantage. See, stealing signs that, yeah, they made such a big deal. And I know in MLB, they were doing it electronically. So that was a whole nother level. But right. stealing signs and getting an edge is always, I mean, that's, that's part of the game, right? Like if you look over and, you know, they're doing this, they're in and out on someone or they're locking on or what is the, you know, yeah rolled corner i got we're looking for their signs right we're looking i'm watching film looking for all their signs okay when they do those hand signals right because they can't hear because mm -hmm. this, they have to use signals when you're playing away so you get an advantage of trying to see what they're talking about um as far as signals go and then um it's not it's something that you just have to do right the game is about getting an advantage and you know, you see the coaches, they always, they always hold it up and do that. I'm like, well, nobody's a lip reader, right? They're not lip reading, but they're, they're, they're and even doing if they could things. lip read, even if they could lip read your terminology is different from that. I could call the play out in our, our verbiage. They, well, they might know it's a pass, right? but they're not going to know what's called. Well, you know what it's like, Doug, it's like when you, when you run, right. If you're the backup, you're running scout team, right? I always ran scout team. So I could always stay ready to play. Um, I didn't want the third string guy. I didn't care. That's how I got my reps in practice because the first mm -hmm. team guys getting all the reps, but you watch what the defensive coaches draw up and how they verbiage things at one scout team. And you're like, are you from another team? Like where, why aren't we coordinated in what we're doing? So like a, a, a curl route is called a curl route, not a six route, right? Cause you came from a different system and that's what you call it. So I've had coaches that will let that happen. And I've had coaches say, no, Offense, defense, we have the same terminology and language for everything uh, because the practice is the most important, right? Get to the game, it should be second nature, throwing whatever, but uh, the practice is most important.
1996 was your Pro Bowl year. Uh, what was different in that year? What's what's what did you find that was different with winning teams versus losing teams? Man, we we just we ran the ball that year it was incredible. Um, and uh, Terry Allen was our running back. We had Brian Mitchell in the backfield. Uh, Cedric was our fullback. We just had a really good team, uh, really good group in the locker room. And I felt like uh, we just, you know, we went we went seven and one at the beginning of the year. At the end of the year, we went one and seven because we missed like six field goals to win games, right? Our, not nothing against our kickers, but we should have won way more games, right? Uh, we should have had you drop kicking for us. I would have won more games. But I, I just think that year was good because, you know, everybody played like we were we were a good team, right? Everybody mm -hmm. everybody in the offense knew everybody on the defense. We, we knew each other really well. And then um, it wasn't complicated. We weren't doing things that tried to – fake people out we were like this is who we are we're coming at you and henry ellard was there and i remember just going against teams and if i knew i had to throw to hop because he he ran the dig route the corner route all these things so so similar that if i threw it on time we were going to complete it like we had such a chemistry that year and then you know when you get the next year you lose pieces and I don't know the chemistry flow, flow difference or coaches flow difference. Like I lost Cam Cameron, who was my quarterback coach mm -hmm. because he left and went on to be a head coach at Indiana. And then I got Mike Martz in who Mike and I didn't see eye to eye on things. I'm not saying bad or whatever. We just didn't get along and that happens, but it just was different after that. And um, I think that happens to guys when you see, They've had so many coordinators, so many people in and out. You know, they have bad blood between some of the players. I mean, we just saw that with OBJ. It looks like a different player with the Rams than he does Cleveland. Right. I, that's a topic I was going to bring up because, you know, they pick up OBJ. They, they have Von Miller now. I, there's a difference between a, a great team and having superstars. Like, say, the most talent doesn't always win. Yeah. I mean, oh, no. I think that, um, you know, just because I was drafted by Washington, that's kind of my first team and I've always watched them. And, and since, you know, it's like the Raiders and Dan and Dan Snyder was kind of like the Raiders in that sense where they always went out and tried to buy the best guy. Right. But that best guy didn't always coordinate with the other guys. Right. And he mm -hmm. came in with a bigger ego, didn't get along with some guys. He showed up in this car. The other guys were more blue collar. You know, there's all these things that can happen. And, I just think that you've got to do a great job in the draft and then you got to add certain little elements to your team that fit into your team as you've seen, and you played for him, Bill Belichick, he'll get rid of a first rounder if he's not pulling his weight or doing the right thing. I, I love that. Mike Dicker was the first coach I was ever around, you know, in the NFL. And he did that. I let a wide receiver go. That was a first round draft. And he let, he just flat out, let him go. And he'll, yeah. he'll take a guy off the street. And if he's playing, it's, you know, his heart out, uh, he'll he'll stick with him. Speaking of playing your heart out, Teddy Bridge, did you see? I don't know if you saw the film or not. Uh, Teddy Bridgewater threw a pick six, and on the return, he kind of just did a phantom wave and let the guy go. He 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 started to put his foot in the ground, and then he just kind of stood there and watched. When you threw a pick, I, I I gave him a little bit of a hard time about the uh, the effort, but um, when you threw a pick, what was your mindset? What what was your first reaction when you usually you could see it happening before it happens? Well, yeah, I mean, it was my mindset is that guy's not scoring. If I can catch him, you know, he's not scoring. I, I didn't care. I mean, that's the game, right? 
It's it's 11 against 11, right? Whatever happens, if it's a fumble and they run it back, you got to go try and make a play. Now, albeit, we never practice tackling, no. right? Or doing that. We only practice getting hit and trying to get away. So <laughs> we practice you know, what am I going to do? Now I caught this guy. What do I do? I just jump on him. I try to, you know, um, so I've had good and bad happen to me on a pick. I threw a pick one time in New York. And I went over to make the tackle and Fleepy Sparks put his helmet right in my shoulder. And I dislocated my shoulder on that. And I'm like, ooh, let's probably shouldn't do that anymore. So let's just, let's make a good effort. If it's, you're not going to get hurt. Like um, Scotty Turner, I don't know if you remember Scotty. He was corner? a DP. Yeah, corner. Um, fast, yeah. like a 4-2 mm-hmm. guy. Came, uh, we were playing, he was in San Diego. It was Ryan Leafs last, like I was with the Broncos. They came to Ryan Leaf. This is like his last hurrah, right? He's got to do it, mm-hmm. whatever. Had a good game, but I threw four picks and five touchdowns in that game. <laughs> Scotty picked one off, and uh, I'm trying, I'm running down the sideline, like trying to take the angle at him. This dude runs a 4 2, I run a 4 8. Like there was no way I'm catching him. And he came up after he scored a touchdown. I'm pissed. I dove, tried to make it look good. He came up after the game. He said, You knew you weren't going to catch me. I, said, yeah, I know, but I had to make it look good. You know what I mean? <laughs> Oh, you got to make the effort. Got to, got to sell. What do you think? Like when you see a quarterback, just like, obviously it irks you a little bit. Like, I, I think oh, yeah. like you should try, like go take a walk or do something. I mean, Marino was the classic Marino would take yeah. one step the other way. You know, <laughs> it was just, no, those are just yeah. film of him. Like the ball's going down silent. He's like, walking off the field. He's walking off the field, heading the other direction. I, I was like, damn. so I, and I told this during my monologue, um, Playing Edmonton, I'm in Calgary. It's a rivalry game. I despise this Edmonton team, especially this one DB. Sure enough, ball gets tipped. He's picking it off and going down the sideline. And I'm sprinting for I mean, I see red. I'm going to just rip his head off, right? All 120 pounds of me. And uh, I've got the angle. I've got good speed. The good angle. I'm just going to run him into the sideline. And he just steps out of bounds. I said, screw it. I grabbed him by the face mask, spun him and threw him into the bench and got another 15. <laughs> I should have been thrown out of the game for it. Um, yeah, that was, I, you know, when you said you hurt your shoulder, my, one of my first picks in the NFL, I was playing in Green Bay. This is back in the 80s, and I threw a pick, and I made the tackle on it, but I, like, lowered my head and made the tackle, and I yeah. felt it. I mean, I lowered my head, and I just felt it down my spinal cord, down to my legs, the whole thing, and through my shoulder. So I learned to grab by, cause I, I, I couldn't, even the guys I thought I actually hit, I couldn't get them to the ground. I had to grab them by the shirt and spin them and throw them to the ground or grab an ankle and wait for help. But yeah, um, I mean, we have no idea how to tackle. Like you, I, yeah. you know, I, I played corner in high school, right? I didn't do anything in college for that stuff. I just played quarterback. And now like it, I'm in, it's, 20 years later and you expect me to go hit somebody if I make a pick like all right and plus the other thing is those guys are head hunting you right all those D linemen and linebackers Al Wilson one time hit me so hard I landed on my butt and bruised my tailbone because I threw a pick and he blitzed and he came around behind me and uh, Champ Bailey was the one who picked off the curl I was I was right there I was going to make the tackle and he just cold cocked me from the side and I was like, okay, yeah, no wonder that I, I literally was playing in Miami. And I said, no wonder Dan goes the other way. <laughs> <laughs> well, now they're protecting. If the quarterback, I, I, I believe the rule now is if the quarterback doesn't make the effort to chase, you can't hit him. Like they right. come over and they kind of stand next to him. And, and Tom, Tom Brady will give the one step stop. 
one yeah. step yeah. Yeah. but let's let's go uh favorite t- you had a 99 yard touchdown pass now did you yeah. throw it two yards or did you throw it no no through it so we were playing the bears in minnesota um our defense was really good then um pat williams kevin williams uh jared allen like those guys were really good bears were driving um we do a goal line stand like they had four plays inside the five to get a touchdown. They were trying to muscle us and run it. We stopped them on the one yard line on fourth and goal. Um, and so, you know, usually what's your coach call when you, when you get that, it's like, okay, we're going to get out of this. You know, the ball literally was on a half yard line. Let's just hand it to Adrian Peterson and get like three yards, get four, you know what I mean? Or do a QB sneak. And Daryl Bevel goes, Oh, we're going to run nine ninety nine FC. And I go, what he goes we're gonna run 999 fc yeah uh, doubles and i'm like all right let's go let's do it <laughs> let's do it and so i had Vasante shanko on the left and uh uh bernard barian on the left and um another tight end on the right can't remember maybe jimmy klein saucer and another receiver out, out, out on the right at the z and so they're playing cover three so i'm like okay i can probably you know look outside but i'm probably thinking my seams to my tight ends right Oh, and if that's not there, I got a great running back. I'll just dump it down to him. Well, anyway, when I drop him back, you know what they do as as corners, right? In cover three, they cheat. Cheat. They start. They, they want to cheat the scene. Hmm. So Peanut Tillman's out there. <laughs> he's cheating, but he's cheating so much that I recognize it. Mm-hmm. And so I drop back, and I just let one. It looks like I'm staring down Vasante, and I let it rip. And you know, when they teach you to throw a go route, right? It's like, okay, we want it three yards from the sideline. We want it 45 yards downfield, like, and literally throw it. I mean, Bernard's running from the goal line. It hits him right at 45 yards perfectly. doesn't break stride and he runs 99 yards. And it's like 15 years waited to get that. Like, you know, I never got an opportunity to go play in a Super Bowl or anything. Uh, but, you know, those kind of moments when you play are, are incredible. Um, and so it was a lot of fun. And, and uh, it's probably the furthest I've ever run on a football field. <laughs> you ran 100 yards of Greg Hogan. Well, you know, I, I, I was the kind of guy, like, if I throw a touchdown, I wanted to be there with him. Like, thanks mm-hmm. for catch, you know. And I never was a guy that just would kind of like, yeah, I threw a touchdown and walk off. I think it's like, it's just such a team game. You got to do that. I think when I got older, um, I, cause I, I, my first touchdown pass was a sprint out to the left and I threw a corner route to Walter Payton. I think we even talked about that. Right. Um, and I swear I was there hugging him before he got off the ground. You know, yeah. I was a full sprint later yeah. in my career. If I was on my side of midfield, Right. I'm walking to the bench. I'll meet you. <laughs> I'll meet you, I'll meet you at there. the 10 out of bounds. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. We'll, I'll see you. But. I'll get there. I'll get. You were talking about that. I had a 106 yard touchdown pass in oh, man. Canada, 110 yard field. So um, That's awesome. we had a, we had a play where it was a go route on the outside and we always ran a go with an out by the slot. And on long yardage situation, we would run a little shake route in the slot and get up the scene. Yeah. And the team we play in knew that. And the only way they could stop it was the corner cheating and eyeing it. And I just saw him stand. I don't know how I noticed it, but you just felt it. You know, he stood right. there. out. He's breaking on the seam and he uh, stood there flat footed and the go route. And, and one of the slower receivers on our team, he's just running. A, and he, he looked like he was just running a clear. He wasn't going. And I laid it out there. He caught it. Yeah, the other guy was flat footed. He went 106. So uh, it's, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, it's like a feeling, right? You don't, 
you don't know why you're throwing it, but you see it, you throw it, you're like, okay. And then it, then it works out and it's an amazing feeling like, cause <laughs> you didn't throw it that two yard smoke screen. Right. And they broke six tackles and, and ran, right. You actually threw it as far as you could mm-hmm. for a go route and, and made the play, which is amazing. Do you think coaches overcoach the reads? Like, like, another instant we were in a two minute situation end of the game against Jacksonville with no timeouts. And we're just across midfield. We had four verticals. I eyed the seam in a three deep coverage and blindly, like I was throwing through the go route on the outside, kind of similar to what you were talking about. Yeah. And, and they don't talk about moving guys with your eyes as much. It's all a to B to C or one, two, three reads. Yeah. You know, that's why if you watch um, a lot of the young guys play, uh, when I watch Justin Herbert play, he does a lot of that. And I don't know if he learned that coming into the NFL or if they taught them, taught him that in college. But I think those kind of things, how you're really good at it in the pros is when you're young, like in college. A lot of teams, they, 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 they don't think these college quarterbacks are smart enough to read the whole field. So they cut the field in half and then they're just staring at half the field. They don't have to move safeties. But that's when you learn how to get really good. Because if you don't do it and you try to come in the NFL and learn that stuff, these guys are too good, right? They're going to mess with you. The safeties aren't in the same spots. You know, it looks like it's cover eight, but it's really cover two or it's an invert. You know what I mean? It's just like, Mm -hmm. there's all this crazy stuff. So I think if I had to give anybody any good information is like, man, if you're in college, you got to work on that stuff. Because if you make it to the NFL and you don't know that stuff and your opportunity comes, it's probably not going to last that long because it, the guys over there are just too good. See, that's what I think goes on with rookie quarterbacks right now is, you know, they're trying to be perfect. The coaches are coaching them up on, you know, this covers, I don't know, it's a cover two, a roll corner. You got to say a corner flat and a corner route with a flat route. You know, you read the corners, he's too deep. I'll hit the flat. Is he, uh, you got to move him. You got to yeah. either make him commit to cut, taking the short route or look up and come short. I just, I felt early in my career, that's what I, I was trying to be, and all you do is check the ball that you wind up just checking the ball down and getting three yards and punting. And I think yeah. a lot of these young guys don't have that feel. That's just a instinctive. Yeah. I think that's, and that comes from, right. Maybe they played in college where their receivers were better than everybody else. And it didn't matter. Right. <laughs> like, but I think you get to the NFL. If you don't know how to do some of those things, I obviously I had to learn some, we threw the ball all the time at Tulsa. Mm-hmm. Right. So I had to move people with my eyes, but um, even your helmet, just looking this way, you know, we'll take that DB, even if it's getting him to turn his hips and run that way, doesn't have to be far because he won't be able to get back to the slant route or the bang eight you're throwing or whatever. See, I, 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 I love talking that. See, that's real quarterback. This is, I, I, you sit with your buddies and you hear them yell and scream at the TV set that, yeah. you know, throw the ball to this guy. I, I just, I love talking real football. What did, um, what was your takeaway with Cam Newton this weekend and being in Carolina? Did you see that he, well, he jumped you know, in the game? Yeah. You know, I, I think that I was, I was telling my son, like I wasn't, I was happy for him mm-hmm. because he ran one in like he's, he's gone through a lot, right. He was yep. the guy in Carolina. Now he's not the guy he goes to Patriots tries to be the guy, didn't fit in whatever, for whatever reason. Carolina brings him back, and it had to be a lot of pretty emotional because I know what it's like to go back to a team that you've played for once before. Um, and then he scores, and there's a lot of things going on in his head, but I just tell my son, 
I love everything about it except when he took his helmet off and had to yell, I'm back. I'm back. Like, yeah. I, 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 and he goes, Dad, but he had all this stuff happening to him. He just wanted to get it out. I said, I get that. Go to the sideline, take your helmet off. You know, you're not in your home stadium, right? Just, just, I said, just act like you've been there before. And I get it. Like, and being emotional is part of the game. But for me, I was like, all right, come on, Cam, you're better than this, right? You, you're better than this. I see exactly what you're saying. And I agree. I just, you, you never, yeah, act like you've been there before. I, my, my motto was just never give them anything to criticize me for. Right. You know, never have that out there, but it, it is, it's a veteran guy. We're all happy for him to have the moment. Um, they are going to put him in a position to be the starter this week, giving him snaps and all. Uh, but I've, I've watched him a lot over the last year or two, and he, he physically cannot throw the ball. Have you seen I don't know. Him? Yeah, his motion is really off. Mm-hmm. Like he was good at throwing that little out route he threw for a touchdown, like those kind of things. And he probably, I wouldn't want to tackle him. You know, no. he's a, he's a beast of a guy, but you know, his motion, there's something going on with his motion where I don't know if it's, if it's, if it's, I'm trying, I was trying to figure out if it's like his hips or if it's how he's turning. And it's just like a, I'm not, he's not using his body. Like, cause you see, like when you, I you know, seen all the things you throw, you'd have that release and it would come up. Yeah. And you got to use your body. Some it's almost like he's throwing all arm. Yeah. I, I, I said it last year that even if he threw the downfield, like he's trying to say, throw a go route or a fade, he, he doesn't have that, the shoulder tilt to throw it on an angle. He'll yeah. go to look like he's doing that and then still throw it from here. And it's, it's in a downward motion and a line drive. And yeah, just, I, I, I think he can make them competitive. He can do the things Cam does running the football quarterback runs short passing game. But uh, as far as being a, to, to get to the next level, I don't, I don't see it happening with Cam. Yeah. I, I just think that that, that motion um, limits his play, right? They're going to run some, they're going to run them a little bit. But he's just not got that that zip like he he used to have when he first came in the league. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. I'll wrap it up with you and uh, let you uh, you uh, give it a little promo for your podcast. Where can we find you, Gus? Yeah, you can you can uh, find me at huddleupwithgus.com. If you want to go to my website, if not, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, you can check me out there. I'm on everyone, Apple, Spotify, you name it. Um, and that's about it. You can find me on social media at Gus Farratt, or you can check me out at Huddle Up with Gus on so- any social media. And then LinkedIn, I am just Gus Farratt, you know, put all my stuff up there. Uh, I'm not that cool. So it's pretty boring if you want to go and watch it. <laughs> uh, Gus and I are going to uh, go start a quarterback school and teach them all the things not to do. We're going to. Oh, I off. love doing that. I love doing <laughs> yeah. that. And then you got to tell the dads why you do it. Right. And then yeah, you got to like, coach that because the dads are going to coach him next week anyway and change everything. They're going to ruin everything. Everything. Like, Dad, <laughs> leave him alone. He's going to come back next week. He'll be fine. Uh, I appreciate your time. Gus. Right, Thanks so much. Thanks, man. Take care. See ya. Good to see you. My new best friend, Gus Farratt. <laughs> I want to thank my guest, Gus Farratt. Gus and I uh, actually just starting to get to know each other like last week, talking a little bit, and it's really fun to talk with him. Uh, We were both journeyman-type quarterbacks. He bounced around the league a bunch. I bounced around three leagues, so uh, a lot in common. Guy out of Tulsa, guy that uh, had to go prove himself and made a heck of a career for himself. Uh, Looking on other fronts, we'll switch over to college football a little bit. 
And uh, it's so funny to me. I, it's like I talk with Kirk Herbstreet early in the year. I'm like, okay, so uh, college football playoffs. It's going to be Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and who's the fourth? And he sort of he's joking, and it's like, yeah, maybe you know, Georgia's pretty good this year, blah blah blah. So it's another. I, it's always some other SEC team hanging on the fence. So sure enough, here we are after ten games. Georgia's at number one, Alabama. And uh, Ohio State's sitting there at number five. They're going to work their way. I guarantee they work their way into the top four. And it's going to be Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, and one other. And right now, Cincinnati's sitting at 10-0. and 0 is, I, I firmly believe they'll find a way to keep Cincinnati out of the mix. I just In the voting, it's going to be Notre Dame sitting down there at 9-1. and one. Notre Dame does not play a conference championship. That works against them. Michigan and Michigan State sitting at nine and one will play each other uh, or, uh, you know, they'll, they'll have a conference championship game that helps determine whether uh, they can get past uh, a big, big 10 title the, you need your conference championship to get into it. And uh, Alabama, just even after a loss with Texas A&M, uh, Texas A&M actually at number 11 lost to Ole Miss this week at 15 Baylor knocked off number eight, Oklahoma. Wake Forest beat number 16, NC State. So, I mean, you know, teams, it's going to be these top handful of teams. And Georgia looks amazing. Their defense is just outstanding. They're the one dominant team in college football right now. Uh, Clemson having the down year is the only um, variable this year compared to the years past. If, if, If Clemson were to have an up year, it would be you know, Clemson, Georgia, Alabama, and probably Ohio State. But uh, Oregon sitting at 9-1 and one, has an opportunity to get into the mix. They've got to win a conference championship. But I think the, the thing that, that bothers me most is teams like Cincinnati. that they, they, they have that one big game a year to try to prove themselves. They win that, but they don't have to do it week in and week out. And, and the pollsters, the, the guys sit in the room and over week after week they i think they actually really struggled with tulsa too almost lost the game but they they're gonna find a way to keep the perennial powers in the top four that's why this needs to go to eight teams it needs to at least be eight teams it needs to be the five why do you have five major conferences and only four spots it's just it doesn't make sense so someone in every conference could go undefeated and not get in there'd be one team that didn't get in in a major power five conference. So that's the frustrating part of it. But if you went to eight teams, you could have all power five sec would probably steal a spot. You'd always have that one Cinderella team of uh, an undefeated, uh, whether it's a Mac team or wherever they come from uh, to, to get into the mix. And then, uh, you know, you have that wild card. So I love the idea of eight. I don't know how long it's going to take to get there. I believe they will get there. Um, it just makes absolutely no sense to have five major conferences and four spots for those teams. All right. Well, I'd like to thank my guest Gus Ferrat today, as well as uh, get you guys to listen in again next week. And remember, you can get the Flitty Flakes cast on Apple, Pandora, and Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcast. Make sure to rate and review. I'm Doug Flitty. This is the Flitty Flakes cast. Thanks for listening. See you next week. The Flutie Flakes cast is a part of the SiriusXM podcast network. The executive producer is Tom Cress. The associate producers are Chris Tyler and Danny Gallagher. Andy King is the director of sports podcasting for SiriusXM. Special thanks to SiriusXM senior vice president of sports programming and podcasting, Steve Cohen. 
Sirius XM Podcasts.